0: Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm Shauna David and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and I'm going to keep this week's intro nice and short and sweet because my word we have a lot to talk about this week. Coming up on the pod, it was a day of shocks in the Women's Super League as Chelsea and Man United both lose at home as Manchester City closed the gap at the top. It's a stalemate at the bottom of the league and a very familiar face is back in action in the championship. Well joining me to look back at all the action is freelance football journalist Mitchell Samji. Hi Mitchell, nice to have you back.
1: Nice to see you all again.
0: And also back after a week off is women's football journalist and fan Liv Griffiths. Good to see you Liv. Hi Jonathan, good to see Uh, you too. And our special guest this week is Wales's record goalscorer, Helen Ward. And she has a new club, which she's going to tell us all about later on. So, Helen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and chat with us today.
2: No, no problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to see you all again.
0: Well, before we look at the league results from this weekend, we'll take a quick trip back to midweek and the Conti Cup semi finals took place. And Bristol City booked their place in the final as they saw off top of the Championship Leicester City thanks to a first ever Vixens goal from Kira Skeels, Bristol winning that one by a goal to nil in the end. In the other semi-final, Chelsea thrashed West Ham by six goals to nil. Sophie Ingle, Beth England and two from Peniel Harder had the Blues 4-0 up after just half an hour. A second strike from Harder completed her hat-trick before Fran Kirby scored the sixth and final goal of that game. Helen, I'll come to you first. The final is being held at Vicarage Road on March the 14th. Just quickly, as a Watford player and fan, you must be delighted to have the Cup final on your on your home turf.
2: Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, I think as far as the ground goes, it's a really nice nice ground for the for the girls to be playing at. It, it looks nice on the TV, which at the moment is is quite important with. You know, it's a shame that we can't have any any supporters there at the moment. But, um, yeah, it's nice to have women's football, you know, such a high-profile women's football game on my doorstep. And um, and I think also it shows the club, you know, and, and their, their sort of intention to, to back women's football and, and really get involved in, in such high-profile events. It's, um, it's really good to see and, and shows how much the club is invested in it. And, yeah, hopefully it'll be a really good occasion
0: yeah absolutely it should be quite the game Lev, Chelsea will be massive favourites for that one but from Bristol City's point of view what a boost for them they'll be full of confidence won't they especially they've had such a horrendous season this will finally have something you know for them to smile about and and look forward to and they've got nothing to lose essentially haven't they
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean,
0: we say this all the
3: time. Cup games are so different to the league, you know. You might might look at it and think it's the top of the table versus the bottom, but on the day, 90 minutes, it's who turns up on the day, you know. Like, we saw Everton were underdogs against Man City in the FA Cup, and they came out and really performed, and you wouldn't think that there was too much level in it at all. And I think Matt Beard is really getting a reaction out of these Bristol girls. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I hope we're in for a close game. I, I would hate to see a,
0: a thrashing like West Ham got midweek, but we'll see. Mm. Little from Chelsea's point of view, knowing Emma Hayes, you know, there's only one result for that game and she'll want a Chelsea win, won't she? They'll, uh, it'll be quite the spectacle, won't it?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, there were obviously pressure and expectations on Emma Hayes' side as they were looking to obviously achieve a, a, con- a quadruple, so including winning the league and and the domestic opposition, so of course she wants to go there with her team with full with full confidence, with free flowing football, and and of course they have to turn up on the day. And I, and I know the result yesterday that they've lost. I know we're going to um, think, talk about it later on in the podcast. Um, but In terms of the goals they've conceded, will not work, and they kind of replicate that in the final.
0: Absolutely. Well guys, we'll turn our focus on to the WSL and it really was a weekend of shocks. Chelsea's unbeaten run of 33 games came to a grinding halt at Kings Meadow in their game against mid-table Brighton. It did look business as usual when Sam Kerr headed home a corner after the opening five minutes but Aileen Whelan equalised from a corner just a few minutes later but the Seagulls were soaring high when Megan Connolly's corner eluded everyone to earn the visitors the victory and they move up to eighth in the table and our Daisy Allen watched the game and she spoke to Brighton manager Hope Powell after the game.
4: So I just want to ask I think you have to unfortunately go back to about November for your guys' last victory in the league but Mm -hmm. how much would this win mean to the girls going forward?
5: Well massive we we, you know we we knew last week's result um, pulled us I guess into a little bit of that relegation danger area. Okay. And, you know, we haven't won since November. Remember, played particularly well the last two games, you know. So going back to basics this week, as, as we did, really paid off. Um, and more importantly, you, you win the game. That is an absolute confidence booster, you know, against the best team, arguably, in the league, as it stands at the moment, um, Chelsea's unbeaten run. Um, so all of those factors, I think, you, you know, we are absolutely thrilled and delighted. It's it's a big win for us.
4: Definitely. Um, and like you said, there was that kind of element. Are you getting sucked in at the bottom of it? And looking ahead to Wednesday, you've got a huge game now against West Ham where you can really put some daylight between you and the bottom.
5: Yeah, yeah. So for us now, it's all about recovery. I think the most important thing is that we go into every game, regardless of who we are playing, with the same effort, attitude and application. We have to because this league is unforgiving and I think it just shows that, I don't know, top of the table and bottom of the table is not necessarily a foregone conclusion. It's a tough league and every game we play, we have to prepare and be as diligent as we as we have been.
0: Well, we questioned last week if Brighton's season was heading for a bit of a no-man's land, if you like, but it certainly looks like it's had a new lease of life after what, I think it's fair to say, was quite an unexpected win for them, Liv.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Bristol got their first win against them quite convincingly last um, week, I just just thought they were going to go into free-fall. I think there were a lot of question marks over Hope Powell. I mean, she's been there for quite a while, so we've seen it with um, clubs like Tottenham and West Ham bringing, and Bristol bringing in new faces. So I was thinking maybe this is what Brighton need, but what a response. And they clearly back her. They're such a bogey team sometimes, Brighton, you know, like we just seen a three nil thrashing last week. And then to beat the champions who have, have been on this incredible run, it's amazing and um, good credit to them. I mean, Chelsea had their chances, but seen time and time again. If you don't get that ball in the back of the net, it's going to come back to bite you. So don't want to take anything away from Brighton but
0: I don't think Chelsea were at their best yesterday. Mm. Helen in terms of Chelsea's point of view we'll hear more from Emma Hayes in just a moment but I know she was pretty furious with that performance she wasn't happy with her players at all she said that if you're not on it you will get turned over you know you will get beaten by the better team and she was right wasn't she?
2: Yeah Um I think what's probably the most disappointing thing for them is to be outdone by a couple of set pieces because they're, they're the things you work on in training so much. You know, it wasn't necessarily a moment of brilliance for either of the goals. It was just poor defending, really, for, for the two two Brighton goals. But you've got to give credit to Brighton. They've gone out there. They've they've stopped Chelsea, you know, from creating too much. And, and, you know, they've put their bodies on the line. So you have to give them credit for that. But, yeah, I'm not surprised Emma Hayes is disappointed. It's one thing to lose your unbeaten record but to do it in that fashion is probably quite disappointing you'd almost rather get beaten three or four you know with some really good really good goals going against you um rather than conceding them like the way they did um but you know that Chelsea team's fantastic and I'm sure it'll just be a minor blip in their season but it does make the title race a lot more interesting for everyone now.
0: Definitely does. And Daisy also spoke to Chelsea manager Emma Hayes after the game and we can hear from her now.
4: After the result today and Manchester United's result earlier on, do you feel like there was an opportunity missed to kind of have a bit of breathing breathing room between you and them?
5: Yeah, of course there was an opportunity missed. I think, I said, I've got a disappointed dressing room, but you're going to have moments like that. The response to it is the critical piece and not imploding and not It's not catastrophic, it's disappointing and it's a missed opportunity. But as I said, it's not the end of the
2: world.
4: No, definitely not. And like you said, you want to see how your players are going to react. Uh, You have a London derby against Arsenal midweek. There's not really many better games to go and put it right on the pitch.
5: Um, Listen, those games are really tough. They really are. they're, They're evens games. There's a lot of pride at stake. Uh, I know the performance I'll be looking for and I will demand that from my team.
0: Mitter, like we just heard Emma Hayes say, now isn't the time for Chelsea to sit back and feel sorry for themselves. They have to bounce back quickly, don't they? Especially as Helen just said, that top of the league is so interesting. It's so tight at the moment. They haven't got time to sit around and and mope about it.
1: Absolutely. So... um... Even, even after the game, Emma Hayes will still be thinking, even looking at other results, like Manchester United losing at home to Reading. We've, we've seen um, Arsenal losing at home, home to Manchester City. So, it, again, it's like an opportunity missed because in, even if she won the game, she at least would put pile a little bit of pressure on the teams around them. So, it's kind of a missed opportunity. But again, as being champions, you need to win those kind of games. But at the same time, if you lose those kind of games, you need to like, find a way of responding it in, 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 in a professional manner, really, I think, in terms of going back on a winning streak or getting back or keeping clean sheets, um, going back to, the, back to the usual principles of like um, building your team from the back. I think sometimes that can be sometimes be ignored a lot, but I think some some aspects of those kind of games need to be like to be need to refocus again. So I believe that has to maybe change now moving forward in terms of the remaining games left as well. Uh, they shouldn't be too disheartened because um, they went on a really impressive unbeaten runner. I think they. have Broke a set, some set records along the way, so um, we have to give credit to Emma Hayes. Um, and now they're in the final as well. So um, of course there's there's, there's maybe still some added pressure about um, fans and people around the media thinking about they could be winning the quadruple. But again, in the day if they win some silver, it's still it's still a, a, some achievement. I do I do really do feel like he plays like Sam Kerr will need to start like shining again and of course getting to the school sheet. Once again, um, she scored a 10th goal in the WSO and she's been involved in more goals uh, than anyone since December.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Liv, just quickly, obviously, this past week there's been a lot of speculation about Emma Hayes and her role, obviously, was linked with the Wimbledon job. And Hayes's swift answer to that was basically no. I love the line of they wouldn't be able to afford me. I think that's just iconic. But it's, I'm not saying that's the reason they lost, but perhaps wouldn't have been a, a welcome distraction really to have all of that play out in the media.
3: No, it's it's disappointing. You know, as someone that works in the media, I do, I do question where these stories come from. She handled it really well with the media. Um, no disrespect to League One men's football, but I think she feels like she's building something that she has at Chelsea. Why does she want to leave? They're in a great position to go into a relegation battle. I think the time will come eventually where we'll see a female coach step into the men's game, but I don't think it's going to be Emma Hayes. And yeah, I guess you could say it was probably a distraction, but the players were under par and and that's not necessarily anything to do with Emma Hayes. That was just individual performances.
0: Mm. I love the, um, I read an article about the Emma Hayes situation and someone Compared it, say if you're coaching in tennis, a player like Naomi Osaka, and someone says, Oh, you can stop coaching her, but you can go and coach um an average man who might win a few titles or might not. It's the same as that. Helen, where you know, where do you stand on it in terms of I think it'll make people look at the women's game differently, and that it's, you know, League One isn't, with all due respect to League One, it's not necessarily The step up. Why would you want to go from coaching girls who have won the World Cup, who have played at the highest level, to you know coaching a League One team?
2: Yeah, I mean you'll always get people that will say any level of men's football is better than women's, and you'll never you'll never get away from that. That's just the way that some people think. Um, And yeah, I mean if you put the AFC Wimbledon side on a pitch against Chelsea women, physically they would probably dominate the female side because. That's, you know, it's in their the genetics to be stronger and faster. But in terms of the day-to-day coaching, actually working with players, she's going to be getting a lot more technical ability from her players at Chelsea than I'd imagine she'll get from uh, from an AFC Wimbledon squad. And that's no disrespect for, to AFC Wimbledon. Um, they are a League One side. They're not likely to be in the Champions League anytime soon. The experiences and the the trophy she has up for grabs as the Chelsea manager far outweighs what she could potentially achieve at AFC Wimbledon at this moment in time. So absolutely fair play to her for standing up to the media and, you know, standing up for her Chelsea team as well. Um, but she knows, she knows where the, the job's at and, and she's obviously more than happy to be there. So yeah, it's, It's something, as I said, we're not going to get away from people comparing the two. Um, But, you know, it's good that she hasn't jumped at the chance just to get into into men's football because for me, it's a no-brainer that she stays at Chelsea.
1: I know Emma Hayes has been in a lot of speculation about managing AFC Wimbledon. And what what struck in my mind at the moment is thinking about the men's game equivalence about the longevity of the game. And Emma Hayes has been at Chelsea for, for such a long while now. We're talking about nearly a decade or I think nine years now, I believe it is. Um, I think we need to like think about maybe the long, the gap. the Women's game can be a bit more different in terms of having managers for such a long initial period of time and showing about their longevity in terms of their work behind the scenes and what they would like to build. Um, if you equivalent that to to Chelsea men's team, we've seen a lot, as always what how they work and how they operate in terms of their business model, in terms of sacking managers, and bringing another one in and bringing instant success. I'm um, would be really interesting to know what um, like kind of Emma Hayes is thinking behind around. Um, the game now, the, around the women's game. Thinking about would they see managers being at club follow over, over 20, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, that would be good, and I think would we'll definitely help to bring uh, the kind of the product or the of the women's game even bigger. I think having that kind of like big, making them known themselves as big names, um, and, and taking that, keeping that lo- lasting legacy moving forward.
0: We're moving on, guys. We'll move on to Lee Sports Village, where Manchester United suffered a surprising home defeat to Reading, losing by two goals to nil. United had a few chances in the first half, which thanks to Grace Maloney and some stout defending kept the scores level. But in the second half, Reading scored two within three minutes, both from set pieces as Tash Harding, heading in from virtually on the goal line and then free header for Danielle Carter from a free kick, sealed the three points for Reading. Even though Kerry Chambers' side have only won one of their last 10 matches, they are unbeaten away from home since the opening day of the season. Liv, it's fair to say, again, another result that we didn't see coming. Yeah, it's an interesting one because
3: I kind of felt like Man United were due a loss and Reading were really due a win. You know, just being on this run where they haven't been picking up wins against teams that they should have been doing. You know, I, I, I go back to when I saw them play Bristol in December and it was just so frustrating how they couldn't convert, you know, these draws into points. So fair play to them. They really really showed up with fire in the belly. Um obviously because lots of them are Welsh players, so we know how that feels. Um, but I, I was I was quite I was quite disappointed in Manchester United as well. I feel like lately they've just they're just not as slick as they have been in recent weeks. I'm not sure whether the Chelsea games just knock their confidence a bit and they're trying to regroup. But um as Helen said, you know, with Chelsea earlier with the set pieces, it's the same setup. Being being beaten by these corners by free headers for Danielle Carter, so
2: mm. it was a
3: good win for Reading. But I think Manchester United will go away thinking they could have avoided a defeat.
0: Mm. Helen, a few of your Welsh teammates in that Reading line, have you heard from any of them? They must be delighted with that win. Yeah, they are. They're really happy. You know, I always keep an eye out for all of my Welsh teammates' results.
2: So. There's quite a few of them, obviously, in that Reading side at the moment. Um, you know, with Tash getting on the score sheet, and I think Rachel Rowe was named player of the match. So, yeah, fantastic result for them. We know how good Man United has been this season. Um, Casey's going to have to do a little bit to, to rejuvenate them now um, and get them back on the winning, winning streak that saw them sitting at the top of the table for so long. Um, but for Reading, yeah, all credit to them. They've gone out there. They've obviously... Got a game plan, but it wasn't to, to just sit back and, you know, take the pressure from Manchester United. They've gone out, they've attacked, they've had plenty of chances, scored a couple of goals. And yeah, from, from what I've seen of the footage, they ran out thoroughly deserved winners. So, yeah, good good for them. And, you know, with three of the top four losing games this weekend, um, Manchester City's eyes have, have lit right up with their, their win over Arsenal this week. So, yeah, excellent results for the, for the league as much as anything, but also, yeah, for Reading, definitely.
0: Definitely. Just really quickly, from a Welsh perspective, Carrie Jones was named in the Man United squad for the first time. Another really exciting young talent, Helen. What what can we expect from Carrie? You know, she's I think she's 17, I'm right, 17, 18 years old. What what can we expect? She's a really potentially exciting young talent, isn't she?
2: Oh, she's a phenomenal talent. She's actually been in and around the Welsh um, senior setup for, I think, coming up to two and a half years now. Um, You know, she came onto the camp once as a 15-year-old and we were like, who's this kid? Suddenly she burst past about three or four players and we're like, okay, we see now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Jane handled there really well um, in terms of giving her exposure to us but not expecting too much from her too soon. She actually made her international debut as a 15-year-old a week or two before her 16th birthday and before she was actually able to make a senior club appearance. So that showed how much she was thought of by us um, and the staff at Wales. But yeah, she's a, a really grounded kid. She's from mid Wales. She's very, very homely, very much a family person, but at the same time, she's gone out and, you know, she's furthered her football career by going up to Manchester. And she's obviously doing really well there because to force her way into that match day squad is no mean feat. Um, and I, I think that must show what Casey thinks of her as well. But she's got the world at her feet. She's a, a very humble kid. She's, She's got all the talent in the world and, and I expect big things from her but you know at the same time we don't want to put too much pressure on someone so young.
0: No, absolutely, and always good to see to see young talent um, coming through. Well, guys, Manchester City, like we've mentioned, moved within two points of Chelsea and United with a 2-1 win at Arsenal. Ellen White scored in the first half with a beautiful finish from a Chloe Kelly cross. Caitlin Ford equalised midway through the second half when she was given lots of time and space to pick her spot. City battered on the door after that, hitting the post, having shots cleared off the line. Thought kelly crossed again for lauren hemp to power a head at home arsenal haven't beaten united city or chelsea since october 2019 middle city were the big winners this weekend weren't they and in more than one way similarly similarly to the men's team they're creeping up and you know if you're in that top four and you've kind of you can see man city sort of in the mirror that's an ominous sign for you isn't it?
1: The result leaves Arsenal nine points behind uh, reigning champions and current league leaders Chelsea so uh, there is further pressure to be mounted on um, on John Montemiro's side so it's coming kind of lot like they have to really now rely on um, other teams around them to actually drop points and they need to obviously have to do their job to win games and that's the, the only way I can really see them being kind of challenging for the title right now I don't, I don't say it's over until it's mathematically gone for them but um it's kind of like a bit of a mounting task now for them to actually um, be to be to be to be in the title race now. But of course, there is still a slim chance for like, John Montemiro's side to actually um, cement a still a title challenge. But um, yeah, there was a lot of sluggish defending, and of course, uh, in between the goals from the equalizer to the winning to the winning goal, um, I seen a lot of, of kind of like sluggish defending or lack, lack kind of like poor defending from uh, John Montemiro's side. We've seen them that they. were, that they could have scored more, where Man City could have scored more. It was the kind of game that was quite open to Manchester City, and they had like a few opportunities where I, where I kind of felt that they they could have gone one more, like by three or four goals rather than two ones. So um, I'll give credit to Manchester City, especially the Ellen White goal. I think the kind of goal that she scored is, a, is a, it was a pure striker's goal, and it was from a very difficult and acute angle. So um, Credit Moscow go, go to Manchester City. And I, I do really feel that um there's a bit of a bit of a more mountain task now for Arsenal to actually bounce back from, from the title race. Mm.
0: And live massive games up next for both of these sides. Arsenal, it's a London Derby as they travel to Chelsea and for City. It's the Manchester Derby on Friday evening. They host Man United. It feels like a bit of a defining week of the season in terms of the top of the table, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the top four all playing each other, it's going to be interesting. But I actually will probably, well, I think personally that Arsenal have got too much ground to try and cover now. These sort of games, I understand Manchester City are on a run, but you're at home. You need to be picking up three points against the top four teams. You know, it wasn't long ago where they won the championship. So they know they're capable of doing it. And I understand that they're going through some injuries and some changes, but Joe's been there quite a while now. And it just, for me, and I've always said it about Arsenal, it's something about their mentality. They've got so much talent on the pitch, but they just can't seem to get over the crossing line when it comes to Manchester City, it comes to Chelsea. So Mm. I kind of look at it when they're going to play Chelsea um, next week and Unless they start to sort of believe in themselves a bit more, I can see them losing that one too.
0: Mm. Helen, in, in terms of Man City, can you are they a team that you can see going all the way? You know, can you can you see them winning the league?
2: I think it will be tough for them. Um, but you'd never write off a team like Man City. And they do seem to be hitting form at the right time now. You know, they've scored a lot of goals in recent weeks and two big goals yesterday as well, two fantastic finishes. And Chloe Kelly seems to have had about 307 assists this season she seems to be setting up everything for them um, so when you've got a player in that sort of form put it on a plate for the the forwards that Man City have got you, you certainly can't write them off but yeah there's there's definitely still four teams left in this title race um, and it's going to be a really exciting finish yeah,
0: definitely a big big weekend coming up in the WSL uh, well, guys, moving towards the bottom end of the table, Aston Villa picked up their first home win of the season after beating Spurs by a goal to nil. Yet again, it was Mana Iwabuchi who made the difference. Her stunning long-range effort on 12 minutes proved to be the match winner. The result moves Villa up to ninth, one point behind local rivals Birmingham, while Spurs stay in seventh. I mean, Liv, what a signing Iwabuchi is proving to be already. We've talked about her previously on the pod she got off to a phenomenal start and she doesn't seem to be slowing down at all
3: yeah absolutely the name and the you know everyone bigging her up and putting the price tag on her just is certainly paying off and it was a tremendous strike it's it's just it's amazing to think she hasn't been around in this league for so long but when she's taking efforts like that just like feeling completely confident in herself to do it you know new league no problem um so that it was really good and really it'll it'll give Aston Villa that confidence now to kick on and try and push themselves away from the bottom of the league.
0: Mitchell, in terms of Aston Villa, a massive win for Villa and it's it was it's the consistency that they've been lacking, isn't it, for, for a lot of the season?
1: I believe so. Um even teams around them in that relegation dog part, they've always lacked consistency. Um, I remember me watching Aston Villa beat Chelsea when they lost four Um, They never really got the ground running, but I do do feel that this win can hopefully be a be like a springboard for like a, for a springboard for further success in terms of like getting a round of games where they can be able to win games and trying to like um, get go go higher up in the table and kind of like ease their pressure off and obviously maintain their status in the Women's Super League, but. Um, of course, there are teams, like, especially I've got West Ham, um, we've seen that their home record has been poor. And I think yesterday's result meant that they was like, their first point. They've earned in the women's Super League at home. So it kind of really shows you that um, even our home records are so big as well. i losing quite heavy, like four nils, um, nine ones we've seen in results of teams at the bottom. It's going to prove costing, as we can see with the goal difference. I mean, the table doesn't line and it's fixed volumes.
0: And live another massive game in midweek game. It's the Birmingham Derby Villa travel to their local rivals. And as we mentioned, if they win that, they go above them. And suddenly the mid-table of the league starts to look very, very interesting.
3: Yes, yeah, nothing quite like a derby to settle it as well. And as we've seen with this league, there's only 12 teams and it, it'll only take one, two, even three sort of results to sort of climb up. We We saw it with Tottenham. They were you know, around where Bristol were and Rhian Skinner got two or three wins on the bounce. It's so easy to sort of leapfrog um, anywhere between fifth and twelfth at the moment. So, yeah, it's going to be a big three points. It's not going to be the easiest of games. I think um, Carla Ward has really set up her team to be hard to beat, you know, defensively solid, rocking the midfield as well and and they are they are doing what Aston Villa, Bristol, West Ham aren't doing at the moment and that's grinding out results against big teams. So we'll yeah. see what happens.
0: Absolutely. Um. Birmingham did move a point clear of Villa as they came from behind to get a good point at Everton. Daniel Turner lifted a free kick over the wall and passed keeper Hannah Hampton to put the hosts ahead. Birmingham had been awarded a penalty when Izzy Christensen had a judge to have a handballed in the area. Everton keeper Tingerica Coppola saved Claudia Walker's weak penalty, but Jamie Lee Napier on loan from Chelsea poked in the rebound to level. Everton stayed fifth on goal difference ahead of Reading, having played two games less live a frustrating afternoon for Everton wasn't it they could have moved within three points of Arsenal with a win so it's a sense of what could have been almost isn't it yes absolutely ever since the new
3: year Everton haven't quite been able to find that form that they you know started off so well Mm. similarly to the Everton men's you know we, we always talk about how they're just copying each other at the moment um, but I can see, I can kind of see what Woody Kirk is doing. I know that players have um, been injured and they had a round of COVID as well. So I think it was just a, about getting everyone more game time. They made quite a few substitutions and you know they'll find their free flow again and they'll start c- coming up with the wins again. But it was a, probably a frustrating draw for them, especially at home. Mm.
0: Helen, like Liv mentioned, Everton seemed to get off to just, a flying start at the start of the season it's only one win in their last eight games which will be a bit of a worrying run for them but if they can turn that around do you fancy them catching Arsenal you know do you see that they might be up there towards the end of the season or is it too much of a big ask?
2: I think it's probably a bit too much to ask from them and um, they did start fantastically well and I think maybe injuries and Covid breaks and all that sort of things have probably disrupted their season a little bit. I think the injury to Golf Van made a huge difference because she looks a really good player and, and is obviously a, a big goal scorer for, for them. Um, so she's back now, so they may well be able to, you know, put a good run together um, in the next few games. But I think it'll be tough to, to catch those above them. Um, but you know, they have got a couple of games in hand, so you never know. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they do. But I think for them, this is probably a season now to consolidate and and start building for next year if they want to seriously look at making moves on the top three or four places.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then, guys, a six-pointer down at the bottom as Bristol City were looking to build on last week's victory over Brighton and reach the Conte Cup finals as they travel to East London to take on West Ham. Emily van Egmond's own goal put the Robins ahead after keeper Mackenzie Arnold missed a corner and the ball deflected in off her teammate. Katarina Svitkova levelled with a low shot from six yards shortly after half-time when City failed to clear Ebony Salmon earlier hit the post and City were denied a winner as Gemma Purfield's free kick hit the bar. City remain bottom on six points with West Ham two points above them with a game in hand. Live mixed emotions for both sides, I suppose, although Bristol will be happy to have kept this little unbeaten run going. West Ham potentially will probably be happier of the two with a draw, won't they, especially as Bristol could have easily overtaken them had they gotten all three points. Well,
3: yes. And as we said in the midweek, you know, that West Ham got humped by Chelsea in the Conti Cup and Bristol had won and were going into a final. So you probably had two very different mentalities going into that game. I'd like to know where um, Bristol have got their water supply all of a sudden because they've really started to gel properly this season. It's really encouraging to see. It's better as someone, you know, a fan watching it, not having to see them, you know, go up against these teams and lose four, five, six nil. So I think they'd be happy. It's a good point away from home against a struggling side at the moment. And I do think that, you know, the battle is still going to be on. It's not Bristol that are going down just yet. I think they're really going to start fighting.
0: Mm. Hello, Matt Beard said after the game that that result shows just how far they've come. Afterwards, you know, it's fair to say it hasn't been an easy season for them at all. He'd have loved to have gotten one over, wouldn't he? Especially on um, his old side, but he's still done. You know, I think he's done a, a great job um, since he's come in at Bristol. What have you made of him?
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I was fortunate enough to work with Matt um, in my time at Chelsea, and. You know, if he's nothing else, he's a very good motivator to his players. He gets them all on side, and he knows if you need an arm around you or a little bit of a kick up the backside to get you going. And he, and he seems to have done that at Bristol. It's, they've bought in a couple of loan signings as well, who I believe are making a, a big difference. And he's just made them harder to beat, which is the first thing you need to do as a, a manager, I think, when you go into a new club. Um, and they're certainly showing that fight. Like you said, they've got this little unbeaten run going. And if they can build on that, so adding even more goals to their game, then they'll be they'll be in with a, in with a really good chance of of staying up. But um, for me, I think if I was a West Ham fan or a West Ham player, I'd be I'd be worried because of all the teams down there at the moment. Everybody else seems to be able to pick up a big result. Um, you know, whether it's against a team you're not expected to beat, with Brighton against Chelsea, for example or beating one of, one of the sides around you. West Ham just don't seem to have that at the minute. They seem really short of confidence and, and a, unable to get big results against you know, anyone at the minute. So I'd be concerned if I was anything to do with West Ham. And they've still got a lot of quality in their squad. So there is a chance that they can pull something out of the bag. But, but for me, with Bristol in the form that they're in, I don't think it's going to take too much for them to, to overtake West Ham if, if West Ham keep going the way they are. <sighs> so let's talk about you. Actually, let's talk about me, just for a bit, because I was like you. In 40-odd years, I hadn't done much exercise, but I knew I had to start. So, I got the Couch to 5K app. From not being able to run for more than a minute, nine weeks later, I was running for half an hour. It's simple, it's free, and it's all planned out. With a little support, it's amazing what your body can do. Join thousands of monthly users. Download the free 1U Couch to 5K app now, because there's only one you.
0: Well, we'll turn our focus on to the championship next and the top two teams didn't play. Leicester didn't have a game scheduled and Durham's game at London City-Lionesses was called off due to a frozen pitch. So third place Sheffield United had the chance to close the gap as they travelled to London Bees, and that's who our guest, Helen Ward, signed for this week on a dual registration from Watford. Helen you must be relieved and delighted to just be back in action, finally playing regularly, training regularly. Just yeah, I bet you're on you're on cloud nine. Yeah, I'm really
2: um grateful obviously to Lee Birch and, and everyone at London Beach because they didn't have to let me come along and, and initially I've I've just been training with them for sort of three or four weeks now, um, as part of their COVID bubble. Um, so I'm I'm massively grateful to them for that. And then we we agreed that, you know, with no start date or restart date in sight at the minute for the national league it kind of made sense for parties that you know i, I actually sign and, and can play a part in in the bees games over the next however long it may be um so yeah I'm, I'm really grateful and obviously to be back on the pitch and you know not just running on my own um and doing my own training it, it's nice to be part of a team again and you know fighting for a match day at the weekend so yeah it's all good
0: yeah, for those Listening, you were on the pod um, just a couple of months ago, f- a few weeks ago, when you were talking about the fact that um, uh, with being classed as non-elite, that Watford weren't able to train regularly, weren't allowed to play. Just briefly, I know you've talked about it on, on the pod before, but how frustrating was it to go from being an elite player, playing for Wales, playing for your national team, to then the next day being classified as non-elite and all of a sudden not being able to play at all? And like you said, sort of running on your own, probably scratching your head thinking, well, what am I going to do?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's really tough. Uh, like you said, your you kind of head goes all over the place because you, you are seen as elite and then you're not. And um, it's just really frustrating for everyone, not just me involved, you know, from tier three downwards. Um, but it's the situation we're in at the moment and there's not much we can do about it and as I said I'm just grateful for the chance to to keep myself fit and ticking over with with Wales in mind Um, because it's important for me to if I want to be selected for international games I I need to be playing um, and training regularly because the majority of the squad are able to do that so um, I'm not going to be picked if I'm not able to play so it, it worked out as I said for all parties and everybody knows where my heart lies and you know Watford's my club and and it's where I want to be long term but at the moment they're happy to let me go and, and keep training in the meantime so yeah I'll be I'll be back at Watford once allowed but you know in the, in the meantime I'll be giving everything I've got for London Bees and, and hopefully for Wales.
0: Oh, amazing it's great to see you back on the pitch and, and able to to do what you do best day in day out um, which is really good so we're all really really chuffed for you. Um, unfortunately the debut probably didn't go quite as you wanted to a 4-2 home defeat to Sheffield United you know what's the mood like in in the dressing room you know you're just a point clear of the relegation zone we'll get onto how Charlton and Coventry did shortly but you're in a bit of a battle down there at the moment aren't you?
2: Definitely yeah um you know from what I've seen as I said I've been with the with the group for three or four weeks now and, and I've seen that there's a lot of there's a lot of fight, there's a lot of talent in that dressing room. Um and yesterday actually the four two scoreline I felt was a little bit harsh. I think the fourth goal was about ninety seven minutes. Not sure where the seven minutes came from. I'm pretty sure only four went up on the board. but that's that's football and you have to keep going until that final whistle. Um it was a penalty as well. So um yeah, we were we we're disappointed obviously with with the scoreline and um, but parts of the performance were really positive. I think Sheffield United showed their class in the first half in particular. They kept the ball well and scored a couple of goals. But once we got back into it, um, I think once well, once the third goal had gone in straight after half-time, it was almost, come on, let's, let's pick ourselves up. And the goals fought back again, got another well-worked goal. Uh, Sophie Quirk down the left-hand side, she's going to be a really important player for London Bees. I think she's got a lot of pace really good at driving with the ball and she was probably the main threat all afternoon. Um, and so, yeah, there were some really positive parts of the performance and I'm sure that against teams in and around us, if we can keep that going, try and find the net a little bit more, then, then we'll be in with a good chance, but it's not going to be easy. We've seen obviously Charlton pick up her point yesterday as well. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be a, a battle, like you said, um, from me for a personal point of view it was nice to get on the pitch for 16 minutes I couldn't really feel my feet so my touch probably wasn't at its best um because it was so so cold but yeah fingers crossed I can get a few more minutes under my belt over the next few games and you know hopefully help the team score a couple more goals and, and get some more points on the board
0: uh, best of luck for the rest of the season and we're looking forward to seeing how you guys get on I was my next question was about and Kirk, but you answered it basically. So, cheers, Helen. <laughs> Made my job very easy. Um, well, guys, we'll move on to Liverpool. They are now 10 points off the top in the Championship. They were rocked by the news that Rinzola Babajide has stated her desire to leave the club. Uh, they're still looking for a replacement for the managerial position after Vicky Jepson left as well. They drew two all at Charlton in the snow. Uh, Shauna Vassell tapped in the opener they had held that lead until midway through the second half when Rachel Furness equalised. It looked like Liverpool had snatched all three points when Kerry Holland who was making her debut after moving from Kansas scored but in injury time Charlie Clifford literally had ice in her veins as she converted a stoppage time penalty. Charlton manager Ritesh Mistry said it's important we pick up points right now one is better than none it proved to be a vital point as they moved off the bottom thanks to a late winner by Georgia Timms at Coventry United which means the West Midlands now occupy the bottom spot. Current owner of the team um, Thomas Sangard has agreed to take over the women's team as well. The women's team has been a separate organisation from the men's team for more than a decade and the takeover would bring the two clubs under the same ownership for the first time since 2007. With that point that's the news this week, that's been a decent week for Charlton, hasn't it?
1: Um, I feel it's kind of encouraging news. I've um, obviously seen in the past about the history of the women's game in terms of its commercial investment. Now it's coming to its viable product amongst in competition with the men's game. And I still remember, and I'm speaking from experience, not not from my um, as a media perspective, also personal as a person. In that study went to university, and I've done a dis not dissertation. I got a friend that did a dissertation around. Uh, the commercial investment around the women's game about three, four years ago. And I remember saying that when Charlton were like coming, were close to like um, being like bankrupt in a way in terms of the women's team back in Korea, talking about around 2007 times, so around the early 2000s and it was due to the cost cutting measures. So, uh, so I've conceded the financial are during that time and I've seen about in terms of, in terms of what has it, the impact has led to, but um, seeing that kind of news is obviously very encouraging for our, for our game as a whole and hopefully we'll see some of the likes of Charlton being in in the Women's Super League because we want to see the competition or teams being more teams around in the Women's Super League in terms of being fully professionalised. And of course, uh, hopefully this will be a much more of a further platform for um, for Charlton to actually become a full-time establishment. Um, And I hope so um, because we want to see more teams competing at the very top and we want to see women's footballs growing rapidly as ever. Especially in these current times, it's uh, just, I just think it's fantastic news for all parties.
0: Absolutely, and with that win, actually Coventry at Coventry, sorry, Lewis moved into sixth place on sixth place on nineteen points. The final game in the championship, so an entertaining game between Blackburn and Crystal Palace. Blackburn took the lead. Jade Richards powerfully headed home Emma Doyle's corner. The lead did not last long, though, as Palace struck back through Sherelle Casal, volleying home when picked out and marked by Wilson's terrific cross from the left. It was Palace who scored then in the dying minutes with Johnson bundled the ball over the line after goalkeeper Alex Brooks dropped a header. But Natasha Fenton scored in the dying seconds to leave Palace still looking for their first victory of 2021. Uh, so that's the championship roundup. And guys, finally then, um, before we end, something we sadly need to highlight is the uh, racist abuse received by Manchester United's Lauren James after this weekend's defeat. She responded um, by saying that it's getting boring now. Uh, she wrote Instagram on a real need to do something about it or they will lose so many individuals pr- from their platform Cause that's the only way they will actually listen could even just remove any emojis with racist meanings too easy for some kid to press a few emojis in order to try and grab some attention too much talk around these days and nothing ever gets done. The usual story. Uh, her brother Reese has also been the target as has the likes of her male counterparts at United, Axel Tuanzebe and Marcus Rashford along with countless other players across the board. Um, Helen you know this is why the players in the WSL and the championship and players around the world are still taking the need as you know there's still so much work to do isn't there
2: there's so much work to do and like Lauren said that there must be something these platforms can do there's so many incredibly intelligent people there's technology that is beyond our wildest dreams that could make it possible to to make sure everybody has an id before they sign up for these accounts or make the the people that send these these tweets these instagram messages whatever it is make them accountable for their actions it's too easy to hide behind the keyboard and a you know a blank picture and a false name um and, it, and it's just not okay i think it's become almost fashionable to then abuse someone online racially abuse someone which is crazy um and because they know it's grabbing attention, but without any repercussion, they need to know that if they do it, yes, they're going to get the attention, but they're also going to get a punishment to go along with it. In this day and age, in any day and age, it's not OK. Um, and and something definitely needs to be done. And I'm sure there is more that can be done than, than currently is happening right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mitchell, Oliver in the Culture Secretary, he said, we are going to change the law to make social media companies more accountable for what happens on their platforms. You know, I think it, we're all in agreement that it's something that needs to be done sooner rather than later, doesn't it?
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, I can I connect everyone's words around um, these kind of subjects, and of course, we want to obviously eradicate that kind of, of like racism in the game completely. And um, of course, I think there's still been an awful lot of work to do for like the footballing authorities and governing bodies to eliminate that. Um, I also feel that how how players can play a role. Um, in terms of to eradicate that because um, they, they've got the power to make change and they can create that kind of vehicle for change um, for the obviously for the foreseeable future um, but I do feel there that, that of course roles within like social media companies got to play a role in terms of eradicate that and they must introduce some sort of um, grounding rules for like followers, for users, to ensure that that racism will not be in place and know what the lasting consequences will be. So there, there's this. It's it's an ongoing debate. There's always ongoing discussions around within the uh, international and obviously within the media, within the UK, amongst um, sports journalists. Um, it's an ongoing subject, and of course, we all have to play a role in terms of to um, eradicate as as much as possible. And of course, we want to make the women's game like how is the men's game more inclusive as possible, and everyone's welcome to it. And of course, we have got all the, we, have, we have the role to make the women's game even better. And we can obviously play that role as well as, as alongside the footballers that can make the vehicle for change because um, in women's games, everyone's got an individual story to tell. We want to resonate that with our communities and we want to ground our communities to the very best possible way. So, of course, I can see the impact it has on amongst so our storytelling in terms of it's like um, journalistic, like in terms of creating journalistic stories as well. So we want to make... That kind of um, newsroom in terms of other environments even in podcasts, more inclusive as well, so um, yes, we all have the role to, to make the game even better,
0: yeah absolutely, and some excellent points there made by by both of you and really quickly before we finish, um, Wales International Lauren Dykes announced this morning that she is retiring from football one hundred and five caps for her country. Um, what a career, what a player helen i 'll come to you first, obviously played with Laura and you know her incredibly well it'll be sad not to have her around especially as a Welsh fan you know from a Welsh perspective she's been there since I remember I started watching football what a loss she will be but looking back just what a player and what a career she's had.
2: Unbelievable player um, but even more importantly an unbelievable person she's been uh, around you know since I made my debut. So she's been one of the one of the players that has gone through, you know, from her first cap right through to a hundred and fifth cap. It's been an honor to have shared the picture with her on so many of those occasions. Um and and but for injury, she's had a couple of, of longer term injuries in that time. I think she'd be well on she'd be ahead of Jess. She'd be well well into sort of the one twenties, one thirties um for me in terms of caps and, and every single one of them is thoroughly deserved. She's she's given everything to her game, she's been the, the ultimate professional. She's fit as a fiddle, even, you know, in the sort of last few months and, and years of playing. Yes, she had the injuries, but in terms of keeping herself healthy and fit in, in every other way, she's been fantastic and, and an exceptional player as well. Really dependable, always a, a seven or eight out of ten player. And, and every team needs that person. She doesn't go out there to try and win Ballon doors with, you know, step-overs and everything like that, but but she's absolutely solid as a rock wherever you put her. You know, she started out as a right winger, incredibly incredible pace. Um, dropped back into fullback, did a really amazing job for us in that World Cup campaign as a centre back as well. Just yeah, a real student of the game as 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 well. And I think you know, get her going into coaching now is is the right time for her, and she's going to make a, a wonderful coach. She already is doing brilliantly at Bristol, from what I hear, and and I don't think it'll be too long before we see more of her in in an international sense as well. And, you know, it'll be thoroughly deserved because she's always been brilliant to talk to as a player and a person in terms of, you know, tactical advice, just any, any general advice. I honestly can't speak highly enough of her.
0: Yeah. I saw um, Tanya be tweeted something really nice. Tanya tweeted, possibly one of the most amazing human beings and role models to have graced the game. She has been a pleasure to work with both, both as a player and more recently as a coach. She has such a bright future ahead of her. I look forward to seeing how she continues to inspire the next generation. Liv, just really quickly, you know, it's not the last we'll, we'll see of Lauren Dykes, is it?
3: No, absolutely. I think Helen you know, had a great sentiment to her. And um, I can only add to that by saying it's always a shame when a player decides to hang up their boots, but it's so great that she will stay in the game and she will develop in her coaching. And I'm sure in the next five, 10 years, you know, we'll have these debates and say, oh, do we know how Lauren's side have done this week, etc., etc." So, you know, sometimes one door closes, but it means another one opens and that's all you can really say about it.
0: Amazing. And we wish Lauren all the best with all of her future plans and endeavors. Well, breathe. We got there. So much to talk about this week. Thank you so, so much to Liv, Mittal and Helen, of course, for joining us. Good luck, Helen, with the rest of the season with London Bees. We'll be keeping an eye out on everything and how it unfolds. Liv, Mittal, also thanks a lot to you guys for joining us. And to you guys listening, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at TWFP1 and at the Women's Football Podcast on Instagram. So that's all from us for this week. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you all very soon.